0: Welcome to the Pro Hockey Alumni Podcast, the home of behind the scenes interviews, stories, and memories that celebrate the heritage of the great game of hockey. The Pro Hockey Alumni Podcast is hosted by Mark Willand. Back down, our
1: Phoenix cage is empty, but he's back in it. Climbing now works the points to Hurley. A bullet drive kicked out. Rebound. Mike Rogers scores! Mike Rogers! And he's a happy young man as he backhanded that rebound. Past Kurt. Fine setup. Hurley will get one assist. Climbing the other at 19 10. And the Whalers are right back in it at 3 3. Mike Rogers, his first goal as a Whaler.
0: Episode 30 of the Pro Hockey Alumni Podcast features. Mighty Mike Rogers, the speedy and skilled centerman who was one of the most productive players in hockey during the 70s and 80s. Mike was the WHA Rookie of the Year in 1975 with the Edmonton Oilers but was soon traded to the New England Whalers where he solidified himself as a consistent 70-80 to 80 point scorer. When the Whalers joined the NHL in 79-80, Rogers really took off, scoring 105 points and recording a plus 28 plus minus rating. The Stash Bash and Dash line with Rogers flanked by Blaine Stoughton and Pat Boutet would become one of the NHL's most prolific trios. Mike was named the Whalers' captain and appeared in the NHL All-Star game as he hit the 100-point level again in 80-81. However, prior to the 81-82 season, Rogers was dealt to the New York Rangers where he didn't miss a beat, scoring 103 points for the Blue Shirts. Mike scored 347 goals for 886 points in the big leagues and went on to a great career as a color commentator for the Calgary Flames. He was recently inducted into the Alberta Sports Hall of Fame. Always personable, Mike is a great interview, and you'll enjoy his humorous stories about his days in the NHL and WHA. Now, let's talk classic hockey with Mike Rogers. Back on the show with Mike Rogers. Mike scored 100 points in his first three NHL seasons, among other things, the WHA Rookie of the Year and all-around outstanding player and outstanding guy. Mike, thanks so much for being on the show today.
1: Oh, I'm glad I'm with you, Mark. Yeah, looking forward to it.
0: Mike, uh, as a kid growing up uh, in Alberta, you did not have a local or even a relatively close NHL team to follow. Uh, did you watch NHL hockey on Hockey Night in Canada, did you follow the NHL at all from uh, from Alberta?
1: Well, every Saturday night, uh, my dad and myself, we'd uh, curl up on the couch, and he was a Montreal Canadian fan, and I was a Toronto Maple Leaf fan. and. That was kind of our night, so uh, even as a young kid, we had a lot of arguments uh, about who was the better team, but uh, yeah, just a huge hockey fan, uh, probably when I started walking, uh, I started watching hockey, so uh, yeah, Saturday nights were always booked.
0: We'll get to this a bit later, but it's pretty amazing, you think of yourself with your dad watching your team, the Toronto Maple Leafs, you're watching one of the great players of all time, and Dave Keon. Uh, and Norm Ullman for that matter, and you'd end up being teammates with them later in your lifetime, which is uh, pretty amazing. Well,
1: you know, what's cool about it too, Mark, is that, uh, you know, I idolized two players when I was a kid, had scrapbooks, cards, uh, pictures on the wall, and those two were Dave Keon and Gordy Howe, and uh, <laughs> got to play with both of those, so I could call them teammates and friends, but uh, yeah, Dave Keon, I guess I always had a connection too, not a big guy, and uh, just loved the way he played, his competitiveness, and uh, just the way he carried himself—the ultimate pro—and uh, and then to finally walk in that dressing room and see Dave Key on—what uh, a what a thrill for me! But, you know, as I mentioned, uh, after about an hour, it wasn't a teammate anymore; it was a friend, and I wasn't in awe. He was just such a. A wonderful, wonderful guy that just made me feel at home, and uh, yeah, I probably followed him around like a lost puppy a few times, <laughs> but I uh, just uh, just great to be around, David. Uh,
0: what I was going to ask you about, uh, first and foremost, is you end up playing for the Calgary Centennials, which is the big game in town, and um, how did that transpire? Uh, because you had a heck of a career there. How did it all get started?
1: Well, you know, the Centennials came in 1967, uh, and I uh, started with them in 71, and they had a tryout for uh, a junior B hockey team here and they were going to play out of a little town called Vulcan, which is about uh, 70 miles South of Calgary and was fortunate enough to make that team. And they ended up being, uh, I guess, kind of a, the, the starting point for the Centennials. They had their major farm team. So we were a bunch of 15 year olds that uh, played in a senior men's league of all things in in (laughs) Southern Alberta. And uh, yeah, and just had a great year that year. And uh, the next year went to the Centennial camp and Danny Gare was just in town about a month ago. We got together and we talked about how Scotty Monroe pulled us aside and told us that we made the team as 16-, 17-year-olds, and uh, what a thrill, and especially being a Calgary kid, born and raised mm-hmm. here, and to play for your junior team. And, yeah, things just worked out uh, fantastic. As I mentioned, Danny Gare, my linemate, another uh, linemate, Jerry Holland. Uh, we had uh, great years together. So, uh, yeah, I just uh, can't say enough about uh, the Centennials and, and really the stepping stone to get into the NHL.
0: It was, uh, you know, certainly a special time for you. And as you said, when you think back of the Calgary Centennials, you always think of Rogers and Gare in, in that uh, in that time time frame. Uh, also, Bearcat Murray, uh, your your trainer, guys like that. But you also had a a great goalie who kind of everybody knows, but I don't think people appreciate uh, before knee injuries came how how good he was. Uh, he was a Ken Dryden-esque goalie, I guess, and uh, John Davidson. Um, what are your memories of John as a junior player?
1: Well, it's funny you bring that up, Mark. Uh, they had a centennial night here about a month ago, and uh, the junior team, the Hitmen, decided to honor uh, their the, the, the history of, of, of junior hockey in Calgary. So mm-hmm. Danny came in for it, Jerry Holland, and unfortunately, John couldn't make it, but I was asked a question about John Davidson and and there's no doubt in my mind, he is the greatest goaltender I'd ever, ever seen. And actually fortunate enough, as you mentioned to play with him in junior, but also played with him in New York. And he was just at the end of his career because of those knee problems, but, uh, just an unbelievable goaltender. He had the size, he had the quickness and, uh, he, he just had that competitiveness that he just did not want to lose. And, uh, yeah, as I said, uh, I don't think there was anybody that could touch him. It's unfortunate he had those knee injuries, or he'd definitely be a Hall of Famer.
0: You, at the end of your junior career, um, now you, a great time to be a graduating junior because you have two leagues to choose from. Uh, you drafted by the Vancouver Canucks. you drafted by the uh, home province Edmonton Oilers and the World Hockey Association. I'm assuming that in this situation uh, that the Oilers gave you an opportunity to probably make a little bit more money and play big league hockey right away, whereas uh, Vancouver, uh, you may have had to begin in the minor leagues. Uh, Was that the case? And talk a little bit about that decision.
1: Well, that was probably the major decision, you know, when it finally came about. But uh, what was really interesting about all this is the World Hockey Association draft was before the NHL. Mm -hmm. And I was supposed to go quite high in the NHL draft, and I I didn't go until the fifth round. And, you know, it was a a tough time for me because, you know, the World Hockey Association is still a pro league, but you grew up wanting to play in the National Hockey League. And finally their general manager called me and said, "Uh, your agents uh, will not talk to us. Uh, So we thought we'd call you personally and just want to kind of know what's going on. We know you've signed with Edmonton, but we just wanted to let you know that we drafted you. And this was all news to me. I was quite surprised. So, there was some behind-the-scenes things that happened that I had no idea about, so I ended up talking to Vancouver. And uh, but when it came down to push and shove, uh, you're right, Mark. Uh, they they more or less guaranteed me uh, playing time with the Edmonton Oilers. The money was better. They offered me a one-way contract instead of a two-way contract. So, you know, even though I wanted to play in the National Hockey League, uh, I chose the WHA. And uh, I guess, as they say, uh, it, it
0: turned out well. Well it sure did And you get off to a rip-roaring start In your big league career You're the rookie of the year in the WHA uh, Very productive right off the bat And so my question is As it often is when I talk to various guys What's it like going from juniors now to that, Oilers were not a, necessarily a star-studded team uh, But they were getting better And what's it like going into that training camp As a, uh, as a young professional 19 uh, years old at that time
1: Frightening. <laughs> you know, I think that's the best way to put it because I didn't really know what to expect. And even though you'd had great years in junior and you felt you were ready for the pros, it uh, it just wasn't the case. And I remember stepping in that dressing room and realizing that here I am, the young kid. And you know, there was a lot of hoopla surrounding because I, I you know, was more or less guaranteed to make the team. But you still have to go out and prove yourself. And I put an awful lot of pressure on myself made the team, but I don't think I scored my first goal until about the ninth game in and I was so wow. concerned I was going to go to the minors and then just something clicked and and after about another half dozen games, I realized, yeah, maybe I can play at this level and, and then it became comfortable, but I think, you know, for any young kid going in and, you know, and being the only rookie on the team, I just said, you know, I've got to show them that, you know, I can do this and I think I just put so much pressure on myself that I, I really had a tough time handling it.
0: For a while, and then you certainly prospered. Your goaltender during your home games that year was one of the greatest to ever play. Uh, Jacques Plante, one of the most unique personalities and people to play uh, ever in the National Hockey League and the WHA. What was your experience like? Do you have any uh, good memories or stories of Jacques Plante?
1: <laughs> you said it, Mark. Unique. Unique is probably the best way to describe Jacques and and what a contract he had. He only had to play the home games. He didn't have to play the road game. So you know, here was a team that financially we didn't have a lot of money, but we had to carry three goaltenders because of the contract that Jacques had. But I still remember one game, and we were playing against Quebec City, and Quebec City iced the puck. So as soon as the puck is iced, everybody starts to go to the net. Well. I'd never seen a goaltender leave the net to play an icing call, mm-hmm. and he threw it up to me at center ice. Well, I'm not paying attention. It hits me in the skate. Jacques <laughs> is in the corner. One of the Quebec players pick it up, shoots it from center ice in the open net, and scores on Jacques. Well, <laughs> let me tell you, I, I I definitely heard about it after the game, and I, then I realized, okay, if that puck is anywhere in action, Jacques, there's a good chance he could play it. So I learned my lesson quickly.
0: Right, and quite an innovator he was. Um as you said, the Oilers didn't uh, weren't exactly uh, overloaded with cash. You do move into the new building, um, the Edmonton, the uh, North Coliseum. It is a franchise on the rise, but at the same time, kind of bedeviled by some financial troubles in the mid-70s. Um, the next year, 75, 76, you're going along, and incredibly, now I'm a Whalers fan at the time, and you get traded to New England What were the circumstances of you being traded? First of all, why were you traded? Anybody give you a reason? And uh, how were you informed? And what was your reaction?
1: Well, it it, uh, we had a new coach that year, Claire Drake. He was the University of Alberta uh, coach and came in, and he uh, he looked at the game a lot differently than 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 a coach that had coached pro hockey. He was. He was kind of the innovator that everybody had to be in shape and this stuff. And as we all know, years ago, you came to camp to get in shape. There was no right. five, six day training camp. It was a three week training camp. So I came uh, quite overweight that year. I had a great rookie year. I got married that summer. We toured around and I just enjoyed life. And, uh, you know, I should have known better, but I went to camp. And uh, I think Claire Drake just uh, kind of soured on me right off the bat. And, started to perform well. My numbers were still up there, but there was just something there that uh, that Claire and I didn't see eye to eye, and uh, Bill Hunter called me in the office and told me that he was going to trade me, and uh, didn't tell me where or for who or whatever, and then the next day I came in, he told me that he had traded me, and I'm going to New England, which was on the other side of, uh, right. of, of, the, United, of the United States. And, uh, you know, as I said, just getting married, being close to home, we were pretty comfortable in Edmonton. But mm-hmm. I packed up and I was in Hartford and my wife came a few days later and, uh, and it turned out to be the best thing for my career.
0: Absolutely. It was a good time to come to Hartford too. They had just moved uh, to Hartford a year earlier. Uh, good, solid fan base, good, solid financial structure to the team and you're able to come in and Ralph Backstrom joined the team right around the same time. Give the team uh, an injection of talent in 75, 76. A lot of injuries, a mediocre regular season for the the Whalers. However, uh, your team turned it on in the playoffs. I'll always remember the excitement created as you guys beat Cleveland that, in that year in the first round, then Indianapolis in seven, and finally took the Gordie uh, Howe and the Houston Aeros to uh, seven games in the next series, uh, what are your memories of that playoff run in nineteen seventy six with the Whalers?
1: Well, really nobody expected us to to go anywhere, and uh, you know, and then we we did kind of squeak into squeeze into the playoffs, and next thing you know, it was just kind of you know i guess you can call it timing just everything fell into place for our team and you know it really wasn't unexpected because we had a veteran hockey club and we knew we didn't perform well during the regular season but we knew uh when it came to push and shove that that we could perform in the playoffs and and you know to to win those first two series and then uh, as you mentioned mark to to play the house and and the houston arrows uh one of the top teams in, in the league if not the top team and and did what we did against them and uh it was just uh it was just a great run a lot of fun and i remember coming back to hartford after we lost to uh to houston and they had a parade for us right. we were on the back of semi semi trailers and uh and the people came out in droves and it was just uh, just an exciting time for us
0: it was uh it was kind of uh, a time that people sometimes forget about in in, in history but the, the team Really started becoming part of the community, and yourself included. You had a, you had a long time in, in the Hartford area, made a lot of friends. Um, talk a little bit about the, I, I guess, just the the experience of living in the in the Hartford area. What town did you live? In? Were you out in the Simsbury Avon area?
1: No, we were out in uh, Farmington, and mm-hmm. actually, uh, you know, I at the end, I we ended up uh, building a house out there, and I uh, really believed that uh, I was going to finish my hockey career in Hartford, and. Um, you know, the kiss of death, you build a house, and, and <laughs> next thing you know, you're traded, so I think I lived in the house about two weeks, my wife was in it for a month, but, you know, everything kind of fell into place, uh, you know, we're now in the National Hockey League, and I had those 100-point season, I was captain of the team at the end, and I thought, well, if you're ever going to be in one place, this is going to be it, and unfortunately, it didn't work out, but just love the Connecticut area, as I mentioned, uh, yeah, we were thinking of maybe uh, settling there, and and still have some great friends there. Uh, I'm going to Hartford again this summer. The uh, the Yard Goats, the right. baseball team there, has a Hartford Whaler in the day and night. So I'm going to be heading back to Hartford for that and seeing very close friends. So uh, yeah, just uh, Hartford will always be uh, a big part uh, of of our lives, and uh, you know, it, it's just such fond memories. Uh, my time there,
0: Mike. You go into the next year, it's 76, 77, at WHA and it's kind of a lackluster year for the team, again, banged up with injuries. Uh, but two very interesting things happened I wanted to get your your, your comments on. Um, the first of all, December 27, 1976, the Soviet national team comes to Hartford. And as a fan, I don't have big expectations for the game. Uh, the Whalers are banged up. Ricky Lee's out, Brad Selwood's out. Um you guys you got you know like you know a lot of injuries Dale Smedsmos there Jim Troy not exactly international style players <laughs> um but you guys come out and win 5-2 unbelievable game one of the biggest upsets certainly in, in in hockey in the 1970s tell me a little bit about well, it, if you can, the, the what you thinking about in the locker room before the game, what the, the, the strategy was, if anything unique, and how you felt as that game was transpiring and you're on the threshold of beating Trachyak and the famed uh, Soviet national team.
1: Well, well for me personally, it, it was kind of my Stanley Cup, I guess, the seventh game of the Stanley Cup final because we knew what the Russians were about. And I think the biggest thing is we just did not want to get embarrassed. And right. I think that was kind of the, the talk in the dressing room before the game. Let's just go out and play the way that we can. Let's, let's play Canadian hockey and, and, and kind of, you know, that that's always been that let's be physical, but not go, you know, too much and, and just kind of go out and, and, and play as hard as we possibly can and see what happens. and, you know, at the end of that game and and to to sit back in that dressing room afterwards and realize, you know, we beat world champions. We beat one of the best teams that uh, have ever put skates on. So obviously, again, a a huge, huge thrill and uh, something I'll never forget.
0: He uh, didn't just beat him. He beat him, you know, five to two pretty decisively. And I remember it as a fan. You know, I, I lived in Massachusetts at the time, and so... I didn't want to listen to the game. I listened to all the games on the radio, but I didn't want to listen to it because I didn't want to go through the torture of a ten to nothing loss, and that was not unusual though they went out and they just you know you know they beat the Houston Arrows ten to one later on in their tour, so I didn't want that to happen to the whalers so i I, I went up to my friend's house we were actually playing table hockey. I was like twelve or thirteen or whatever it was and but we had the game on in the background, but the reception where he was wasn't great. I kept hearing these little things like Go, oh, By the way, it was Gary Swain, then Tommy Earl, and like about halfway through, I'm like, "You know what? These guys have a chance to win this thing." I gotta get home and listen to it. So he <laughs> he lived about three. It was it was cold, snowy December night. and I, I ran home three miles on a dead sprint, uh, got up into my house, raced upstairs, put the radio on, and I heard it loud and clear. It was just great. Uh, and uh, you set up Mike. Uh, you set up. Uh, uh, George Lyle for the the finale. It was over, and uh, certainly I think again one of the great Whaler games of all time, and certainly one of the great WHA games too. Soon after that, uh, we talked a little bit, about it, but you make a a couple a deal with the Minnesota Fighting Saints as as they go under, and Dave Keon, Pye McKenzie. Uh, Mike Antonovich eventually, and the Carlsons come to Hartford, Connecticut. Um, you talked about what the experience is like playing with Boyhood Idol and, and, and Dave Keon. Uh, what, were the, what were the Carlsons like? That was right, in, right. That was peak, right when Slapshot was coming out. Um, <laughs> so, uh, both obviously a couple of characters and underrated as, as players. But I was curious, uh, what were they like to uh, to play with at that time?
1: Well, first of all, they were just great individuals and, uh, you know, two of the nicest people you could ever meet and and really what it did for our team, um, you know, and myself being a small guy, I grew two inches and gained about 20 pounds (laughs) because all of a sudden we had so much grit with our hockey club and, you know, if the game was on the line that you knew Jack or Steve could do something to change momentum in our favor and that's just the type of players they were and, they were passionate about winning and you know johnny mckenzie that same type that uh, you know we all know the stories about pie and, and the mm-hmm. grit and and you know the chirping that he he used to have each and every game and then you bring in such a a great leader and a great player such as dave keon so we we were just really a, a completely different hockey club we were a confident hockey team and you know when you make trades you never know what's going to happen but Those four guys just kind of walking into our dressing room. And you did mention Mike Antonovich gave us a little bit more scoring power. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, all of a sudden, I think we were a team to be reckoned with. And and we realized that, you know, we were a team that uh, could be very competitive.
0: Mike, going into the next year, the 77-78 campaign, expectations are high because of a number of factors, most of which, of course, is Mark Howe, Gordie Howe, Marty Howe. And Colleen, for that matter, joining the Whalers organization. Gordy scores ninety-eight points that year at the age of fifty. And every guy, I have. I, I just talked with Don Luce, and I, it, it, I just, you know, I, I said everybody's got a Gordy Howe story. So I, I, he gave me his, but Gordy Douglas, Mike Antonovich, on and on. We, we we talk. It's you know everybody has a good Gordy Howe story. So I guess my question for you is, Mike, do you have one? <laughs> Gordy has as either a teammate or an opponent um, of Gordy Howe.
1: Well, as an opponent, I never got close enough to him to have a story because <laughs> I was too scared of him. But uh, as a teammate. Uh, yeah, I still remember, and I tell this to to a lot of people. We were playing the Winnipeg Jets, and that's when they had the great Hedberg, Nilsson, and Hull line. Mm-hmm. And we were in Hartford, and they were beating us quite decisively. And, and I'm sitting on the bench beside Gordy, and Gordy kind of looks at me and goes, "Well, I've had enough." And I, you know, I kind of look back at him. And he says, "Well, so have I, but you know, what are we going to do about it?" Well, uh, Gordy steps on the ice. Hedberg and Nilsson leave the ice to get stitched, and Bobby's bleeding and Gordy finally gets a penalty after he's clipped Bobby, and he complains about getting a penalty, so he gets a two-minute unsportsmanlike after he's <laughs> cut three guys in a row. So he comes back to the bench, and I'm sitting beside Gordy, and I just kind of look at him, I says, Gordy, that was unbelievable. He says, well, it could have been worse. I said, what do you mean worse? He says, I only clipped Bobby a little bit because I like him.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so,
1: there there was the uh, mastery of the stick with Gordie Howe and just, uh, you know, his passion to not get embarrassed and and to try to win the hockey game.
0: That story is is funny because he could do things like that and no one would ever see or know or what the heck happened before guys are going to the trainer's room, so... um, you had an opportunity, I believe at some point, to center a line with Gordy and Mark, um, at least for, for part of the, the earliest, their earliest stay there. Talk a little bit about Mark, who ends up going to the Hall of Fame. Um, I consider him to be certainly one of the top five WHA players ever. Uh, talk a little bit about uh, Mark Howe.
1: Uh, very underappreciated. And even though he's in the Hockey Hall of Fame, and that, and that may sound funny to hear, he did things that really no other player could do. And we, we have to remember that he was a forward when he came to our hockey team. He mm-hmm. had some injuries, and he just stepped up and said, well, I'll play defense, and became a Norris Trophy candidate and, and, and now in the Hockey Hall of Fame, not as a forward, but as a defenseman. So he took right. up that position late in his career. But th- there was just something about Mark. And, and uh, you, know, you can go on and on about just the skill level, the drive um, he just had that will to be the best and he worked at it like a lot of times in practice you're not feeling well you you know you don't want to be out there so Mm -hmm. you go out and practice like that Mark Howe never had a bad practice he went out and worked on things and just wanted to make himself one of the best players that played and I firmly believe that that he is right up there with it with the greatest defenseman that ever played the game.
0: Right. And as you mentioned, one of the reasons he gets underappreciated, uh, you know, first of all, you know, he had the six years in the WHA. Uh, most of that time spent as a, as a left wing and then the early stages of the NHL. Um, so he kind of had the hybrid positions. He never put up huge numbers as a left wing, but he was so good at everything. Um, and again, he, sometimes he kind of fell through the cracks because the guys like, real cloutier or somebody would be scoring 75 goals but in the end i think as an all-around player that uh he was as good as there was in a wha and um and certainly proved that as you said as a defenseman in the national hockey league mike going to the last year of the wha a lot of rumors now start to fly uh about an amalgamation uh if you will or uh, consolidation with the national hockey league um I talked a little bit about this with jordy douglas uh, as you're in there, actually, before I ask you that, I want to ask you one question. I always ask guys like this who played in that team in 77-78. Uh, it's the middle of the season, and you guys are on the road. All of a sudden, you hear, it's got to be incredible, you hear that the roof of the building collapses, and you'll no longer be playing in Hartford, Connecticut. Uh, how did you hear about that, and what was your reaction
1: I remember my roommate and myself, uh, turn on the uh, news in the morning and, uh, and we had an adjoining room. I can't remember who the two other players were, but we had the doors open and, and you know, I won't use the uh, language that we we screamed when we saw this, but the four of us got in front of the TV and, and you know, we saw the Civic Center and then all of a sudden we just saw these girders and bent and, and the roof caved in and we all looked at each other. What do we do now, boys? You know, we, we maybe thought our, our hockey careers were over because, mm-hmm. you know, the World Hockey Association didn't have a lot of money. There was a lot of talk about the merger, as you mentioned, Mark, and you know we kind of realized what is our future going to be and and unfortunately i guess fortunately we had deep enough pockets that we were able to to find a rink in, in springfield mass and, and played until the uh, Harper center was uh rebuilt but uh yeah it was it was such a trying time and and i remember getting on the phone with my wife and just saying you know honey i don't know what's in store for us i don't know if we have a future or maybe start packing up because we might be bo- moving back to calgary i might have to find a job but uh you know we uh, all uh, you know all the credit to uh, Howard Baldwin and, mm-hmm. and the organization that we got through that tough time and uh, and were able to be one of the four teams picked for the merger into the, into the National Hockey League
0: all right that 91 club uh, fans supporting the, the team driving up from Hartford it was a little bit of luck that you had a place like Springfield ready to go um, but at the same time, the fan support, the corporate uh, support, um, was there, as you said, and I uh, was able to get the team over the hump into the National Hockey League. But prior to that, the WHA is going it had been down to six teams at that point, at the very end of the WHA, and a lot of good young players, future hockey Hall of Famers. Uh, the re- league really seemed to tighten up in that last couple of years. Um, what was your evaluation now when you look back at it? Of the WHA, the caliber of playing the league at that time compared to what it would be eventually in the National Hockey League?
1: Well, you know, once I got to the National Hockey League, I realized how good the World Hockey Association was. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of people look at us as, as a minor league and not a pro league, but you know, I, I think, and especially that those great Winnipeg Jet teams or those Houston Aero teams, I think they could have uh, competed for the Stanley Cup and, and had a good chance of winning it. That's how good I thought the Winnipeg Jets were at one time. So, you know, it for me, going to the National Hockey League, and sure, I knew it was going to be tougher, and, you know, this is a, a lifelong dream to finally make it to the National Hockey League, but it it, it wasn't earth-shattering that, you know, I, I, I never doubted myself because of the caliber that I played, Played in with it with the WHA and then getting to the NHL, it really kind of wasn't missing a beat. It was just, hey, mm-hmm. it's hockey. You're you're playing, you know, against the men that you were playing with uh, against in the WHA and playing with. So you know, there was there was nothing uh, nothing to be uh, nervous about.
0: When you look back at your WHA career, it was a rough and tumble league. I remember Dennis sobchuk saying once when he was a rookie, he learned never to make. Eye contact with some players as he went into the <laughs> def- face-off circle. So you, you're you're a skilled guy. You're not going to get in there and, and, and participate in a lot of brawling. But um, in your years with Edmonton and New England, uh, you saw some some pretty good uh, dust-ups. What was the what was the what was the one you remember most? Uh, it could have been with Nicky Futia or Jack Carlson or, or whatever. But what do you, do you have any type of a brawl that you witnessed that you recall in particularly?
1: Well, I, I remember playing against uh, Quebec City, and Harry Neal was our coach at the time. And uh, we were beating Quebec uh, quite badly in Quebec. And so they sent out uh, five of their toughest players uh, Bill Brackenberry. I can't remember who all the players were. And also a player by the name of Bob Fitchner. And Bob Fitchner was one of the toughest around, but mm-hmm. he wasn't that, that goon type of player that, uh, that right. you know, he just kind of it was. was If he had to be, he could be one of the toughest there were. So I'm on the bench, and Harry goes, uh, he says, Mike, I hate to do this to you, but you got to go out there. And (laughs) so we put four of our tougher guys out there, and I'm against Bob Fitchner. And uh, so he says to me at the face-off, he says, you know what's going to happen here? And I'm going, oh, God, do I ever. And and what do I do? And Harry actually jokingly said, if something breaks out, break for the bench and just dive in, (laughs) because we'll try to protect you." But... So I'm talking to Bob Pitcher and He says, "You know, okay, what happens when the puck is dropped? Everybody's going to drop the gloves." He says, "I'm going to drop my gloves and I'm going to ra- I'm going to grab you and I'm going to ragdoll you," which means he's not going to throw punches, but he's going to throw me around the ice.
0: And I said, "Bob,
1: that'll work for me." So, <laughs> so the big brawl breaks out. Everybody's throwing punches. And he says to you, he actually says, "You know, throw a punch or two at me if you want just to make it look good," but he never threw a punch punch at me and uh, at that time there was no charter and it was all commercial flights so we stayed overnight and I saw Bob Fitchner went for a beer after the game and (laughs) <laughs> Needless to say, he didn't have to buy a beer all night. I kept buying his beer, just to, as a big thank you that, that I got through that game.
0: Absolutely, that's uh that's awesome. You uh, <laughs> you got through you got through quite a quite a few games at WHA. You barely missed any. Um, so the, the the WHA comes to a conclusion in uh, seventy eight seventy nine, and you know one of the themes about your career, and I think it's it's a good lesson, and I think it's inspiration as well, is that quite often because you weren't the biggest guy out there you often had to prove yourself in over and over again so it's the WHA is concluded um, you have an opportunity or there is an opportunity for the Vancouver Canucks to bring you back into the fold and um, they decide not to and Harry Neal of all people is the the man making that decision a decision he would later regret but what what was your your mindset? Did you think you had a chance to go back to Vancouver, and did that uh, not that you needed it, but that light a fire under you going into your first NHL season?
1: Yeah, most definitely, Mark. And you know, I I I felt I was good enough to play in the National Hockey League. And uh, Barry Neal, uh, I I the reason I heard that he didn't think I I could. Handle the grind. I wasn't big enough or tough enough, tough enough to step up to the National Hockey League. So definitely lit a fire underneath me, and you know, and I I think even Hartford themselves weren't sure if I could play in the National Hockey League. And I signed my first two-way contract ever um, because I just, uh, if that's what they wanted, then I had to prove them wrong and, and show them that I could play at that level. And things just worked out famously uh had uh, my first 100 point season in my, in my first year in the National Hockey League but You know, sometimes uh, you get a a fire lit under you and just that motivation factor of wanting to prove everybody wrong. And I've kind of had to do that my whole career in junior in the World Hockey Association and the NHL because of my size. And, you know, almost a slap in the face when Vancouver said, no, we just don't think this guy's good enough. And I wanted to prove them wrong and I guess kind of everybody else wrong. And as I mentioned, things worked out uh, great.
0: They sure did. And uh, you sure did prove people wrong. And it reminds me a little bit of... uh, my friend, and a guy you'll, you'll see again this summer, Andre Lacroix, um, again, he, he had a, the similar situations as yourself as the game was changing in the 70s. And, you know, the, the Flyers and, and, you know, big, strong, uh, you know, tough, slower players or whatever were becoming more prominent. You had to prove yourself. But you jump into the NHL. So I, Blaine Stout was actually the first guest we ever had about a year ago. and talk about a little bit of the, the the chemistry that you two had and he had a similar situation and you guys both produced more in the national hockey league than you did even in the wha you had good wha careers you, you, you scored even a better rate in the national hockey league now as a fan that was awesome because i always wanted the wha guys approved just how good they were you guys really really took off so I don't know if you were line mates with uh, Stash right away. How did the? Tell me a little bit how, how the season progressed and how you two kind of came together. And, of course, Pat Boutet eventually joins, and um, you guys are one of the top lines in all of hockey.
1: Yeah, it was just um, – actually, I started that season with Mark and, and Gordy on my wings. And what mm-hmm. a thrill for me, the first game in the National Hockey League. And I look over to my left side, I've got Mark out, and then I look over to the right side, and I'm going, oh. Right. <laughs> I think i finally arrived. This is pretty darn good. Mm-hmm. And I just remember, I can't remember who we were playing, but it was a game where um, uh, just kind of, uh, there was some line matching going on and our coach said that, uh, you know, we're going to just, you and Blaine play together and I can't remember even who was on the left side, but, you know, you, you talk about instant chemistry and, and it, it was. And, you know, we never kind of missed a beat. I, I still remember that first shift and, Blaine knew the type of player I was and I knew exactly what he expected and we just hit it off right off the bat and, and it was just amazing what we were able to accomplish in such a short period of time and then you mentioned Pat Boutet came over and he was exactly what Blaine and I needed because we weren't the most physical guy and both of us weren't that... Uh, uh, enamored with going in the corner so we had this <laughs> mm-hmm. this nonstop uh, guy just going from corner to corner digging bucks out and 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 Patty had a lot more sp- skill than people gave him credit for so the three of us just clicked right off the bat and uh, yeah just had a phenomenal year.
0: It must have been uh, great to, as as a as a team, just to go out there and, and prove uh, that yourself and uh, the WHA that you guys could you know, compete at the National Hockey League level. And as I said, certainly as a fan, it was uh, it was an exciting year. You guys had a, had a terrific team, um, but things don't don't uh, ease up for you the next year. Eighty eighty one, the, the the Whalers struggled a little bit, but you. Are still at the top of your game, and, and Stashy. I think that was a year he held out a little bit at the beginning of the year. Uh, comes back and uh, picks picks up where he left off. Uh, you eventually become captain of the Hartford Whalers. You uh, and I don't. I actually don't even remember the circumstances of you becoming captain. Uh, can you uh, tell us a little bit about how that came about?
1: Yeah, I believe Don Blackburn was our coach at the time, and uh, Ricky Lee was injured, who had been the captain of the hockey club, and there was talk about is he going to return is he not going to return so um, they kind of decided they had to find a captain and instead of the coaching staff or the the management picking the captain uh, they gave a vote to the players and you know who would ever think that uh, when you've got a room full of Dave Keons and Johnny McKenzie's and Gordie Howes and Mark Howes that uh, the players are going to elect you as the captain and Mm -hmm. uh, when it was announced it was uh, one of the greatest honors I've ever uh, ever received and you know, just just because of those people in the dress room and what they'd accomplished. So here they picked this uh, kind of young up and comer, I guess you could say, and and uh, allow me to to be the captain of of, of this team and of, of such great players.
0: Boy, I tell you what, it's gonna mean, as you said, so much when your your peers are the one choosing you. Nobody can talk about politics or anything like that. That's just uh, that's right from the. Right from the heart. So that's – I didn't know that. that was the, that's great. Um, one guy that you kind of crossed paths with a, a few times in your career I wanted to ask you about just because he's so interesting uh, and so colorful is Nick Fetiu, Um which you actually crossed paths with three different times, England uh, Whalers, uh, Hartford Whalers, and then New York Rangers. Uh, what type of guy was Nick? Do you have any memories of, of Nick as a player?
1: Well, Nikki was my protector and uh, as you mentioned, Mark, uh, three times we, we played on the same team and got, I was so excited every time that I got to play with Nicky because <laughs> I knew I I had a guy that had my back and not only my back but, but every player on that team and, you know, talk about a guy that uh, came from a non-hockey background and just what he was able to accomplish and we all know that he wasn't the most skilled player but, you know, you just loved having Nikki in the dressing room. Uh, he was a prankster. I'm sure you've heard many stories about him nailing guys' <laughs> shoes to the floor or <laughs> filling their helmets with shaving cream or whatever it was. It was endless with Nikki. But he gave, gave, he just everybody became just that much uh, closer as, as, as a team because of Nikki. He he threw that that in, into each and every player, and and just uh, it was great to have him around. And uh, yeah, I can't say enough about uh, what Nikki did for my career.
0: Hockey world was stunned. Stunned a year, a year later, 1981, beginning of the 81-82 season, and uh, I wasn't happy as a fan at the time. Uh, you get traded to the New York Rangers. Seems like it just came out of nowhere. I mean, you're, you're the captain. You're 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 at the peak of your career. Uh, you don't get traded for a bag of pucks. There's good players came back the other way. Doug Sullivan had a nice career for himself. Uh, Chris Kostopoulos, but nonetheless, at that time they were unproven. Um, that had to be. Uh, you talked a little bit about it earlier. Had to be uh, uh, just. I don't want to say shattering, that's an exaggeration, but it had to be uh, just stunning to you and your family to uh, be going to New York. What was your reaction? It wasn't like you were going out to, uh, out to no man's land. You're going to uh, the big city, the Big Apple, Madison Square Garden. So what's your reaction uh, at that point?
1: You know, Mark, it wasn't about where I was going. I was just so devastated that I was leaving Hartford. And as I mentioned earlier in our in our interview that, uh, you know, I would built a house, I was captain of the team, you know, I'd come off two 100-point seasons and everything was falling into place. And, and I was just so excited of, of believing that my career was going to end up as a Hartford Whaler. And I think it was Binghamton, New York, we were having training camp and I got called off the ice. And I can't remember who the player was that I think it was Paul Smear that we had just traded for and being captain, they called me off the ice. And I thought that Paul had arrived and maybe they just wanted me to meet him because I knew Paul from the World Hockey Association mm-hmm. and, and thought, you know, as the captain, um, you know, just... Get him to feel comfortable with his new surroundings, and as soon as I walked in that room, I realized, okay, <laughs> this isn't about meeting something. This is about leaving that room and going to another team. And Larry Plo had taken over, I believe, as a GM, and and Ricky Lee was uh, at coach or assistant coach. And you know, it, it 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 was really tough because they were teammates and they were friends of mine. And all of a sudden, you know, they're telling me that I have no place with the Whalers anymore, and it's time to move on. So. You know, then when I did find out that I was going to New York and going to an original six team, you know, the, the excitement uh, started a little bit. But still, I was, I was, I was really upset. And what is really um, and something I'll always remember is when I stepped off out of that uh, at that room where they told me I was going to New York. Gordy Howe was waiting for me. Wow! And Gordy came up to me. He already knew what was happening. He says, "I've rented a car. You and I are going driving back to Hartford, and we're going to have a nice little talk." And I went, "Wow." Gordy Howe thinks this much of me that mm-hmm. he wants to do this for me, and I told him that unfortunately New York had already sent a plane. He wanted me to get to a press conference right away, so I couldn't do it. And I almost felt like phoning New York and saying, "No, I'd rather be with Gordy Howe," which <laughs> I would have rather been with Gordy. But you know, that just says a lot about the man, Gordy Howe. And uh, you know, here's some young kid that's uh, being traded and devastated. He knew that, and uh, he just wanted to try to make uh, my last day
0: better. Well, despite the, uh, the upset in your life, you go to the New York Rangers, and you have a great season, your third 100-point season in a row, and you're playing with Herb Brooks, uh, U.S. Uh, Olympic hockey hero. Uh, tell me a little bit about playing with, with Herb and the uh, experience as you become a New York Ranger.
1: Well, you know, you walk in that dressing room and you you see such a veteran hockey club and a team that just went to the Stanley Cup final the year before, so I thought, okay, here's my chance. This is a chance to win the Stanley Cup and I thought we had a great team and, and, you know, if it wasn't for that team uh, just down the road from us, the Islanders, Mm -hmm. I I believe we would have won the Stanley Cup that year. I, 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 I... thought we were that good so you know it, it, what was so cool about it Lamarck, is, is putting that jersey on as i mentioned earlier you know an original six team. so mm-hmm. as a kid uh, you know it wasn't always montreal and toronto you watch sometimes it'd be a new york ranger toronto game or a new york ranger montreal game so you know here anyway, i was putting on a, a, on a jersey of a team that's been around forever and uh you know, so, so that was a big thrill. And, uh, you know, being in New York, you know, geez, the, the city, I guess, if you want to live anywhere. And, uh, and uh, yeah, my time there was enjoyable. Herb Brooks, uh, a different sort. Um, you know, I never played for a coach like him. He had that college mentality, but the most prepared coach you could ever uh, come across. His practices were phenomenal. He taught you things that you would never even think of, of trying in a game. And uh, so he, he, he did that. He was just his whole philosophy was he did not want to get to know his players. And mm-hmm. so for me as a guy that's kind of outgoing and always had a great relationship with my coach, it was kind of tough with her Brooks and that he just kind of thought I've got to separate, you know, the player from, from the person. And he did that as a player, he would talk to you as a person. He just felt that that wasn't necessary. And, mm-hmm. and you know that, that I, I think not only for me, but for such a close knit team as the Rangers, I, I really think that that hurt us in the long run.
0: Mike you had a, a terrific career at the New York Rangers uh scoring consistently uh all throughout uh coaching change comes yeah I believe Ted Sador came in and uh it seemed like your career with the Rangers ended rather abruptly you still had a lot in the tank you're still scoring a lot um you end up with the new haven nighthawks i i sorry i remember the the nighthawks days because i was working with the whalers and bob crocker would go down uh and scout on friday nights and uh he he told me how you were playing and everything like that i couldn't believe you were down there um what's that like mentally at that point I mean, obviously you're good enough to play in the national hockey league and a lot of guys were getting uh sent down or sent out or whatever you want to say with new coaching regime. Uh, what's your thought process at that point?
1: Well, you know, you start to look at your career differently and, and you really realize maybe you're on the downward spiral and it, it was tough. Pierre LaRouche got sent down, uh, Nicky Petillo got sent down, I got sent down and I think the organization as a whole realized that that a time of change was needed and they kind of looked at the veterans and looked at myself and, and the two other individuals I, I mentioned. I think Glenn Hanlon also got sent down at the right. minors and, and so it, it was a very tough time and, and you know and instead of maybe looking at it and, and I went down to New Haven and, and, and played very well. It got called back up to New York so it wasn't that I went down there and sulked but you look at your career a lot differently and you realize okay how many more years do I have left? This This could be the end and You know, a year or two later, you're out of the National Hockey League. So, a very tough time, and uh, the game was changing. And my stats, you know, I wasn't a 100-point guy anymore. I was a 60, 70-point guy, still scoring, in you know, 20-plus goals, 25-plus goals. But something, I guess, the Rangers uh, thought they didn't need. They maybe felt they needed more grit or whatever the case may be. So, a very tough time in my life.
0: Um. In the next year, you end up uh, with the Oilers a little bit. Again, you're dominating in the AHL with uh, with Nova Scotia. But as you said, you're probably reevaluating your your career at that point. Um, so you you went to but when you were through with Edmonton, if I recall correctly, '86 '87, you did play a year in Switzerland. Um, I was just curious what that decision uh, was like and uh, how did you like that experience.
1: Well, I, I got offered another contract by the Edmonton Oilers, and actually, uh, Glenn said it was really good. He wanted me to go down to Halifax again, and they were just trying to grow hockey in Halifax as far as, as the Edmonton Oilers farm team, mm-hmm. and he kind of offered me a job as almost like a playing assistant coach, and I thought that was very good of him, because I didn't know Glenn well at all my short period of time in Edmonton, but uh, he saw that maybe there was something in, in the coaching side of it that uh, you know I could maybe make a career of, but I decided that, you know, maybe it was time to to move on, and I declined the contract and the offer, and this opportunity to go to Switzerland came about, and at that time, I had uh, two of my daughters, and I thought, well, these would be great for them to see a different country, great for my wife and and myself, because I I was resigned to the fact I was going to play one more year, and I had a chance to go back to Switzerland, had a chance to go to play in Italy. I could have played in Europe probably a few more years, but Mm -hmm. I realized my career was over, time to start something else, so... You know, it was nice that I kinda went out on my terms and, and it you know, I knew I wasn't gonna play in the National Hockey League unless there was injuries or I got traded to a team that needed somebody of, of you know, looking more for skill than grit. But uh yeah, so I, I, I was I was kind of glad that, you know, it was my decision and, and uh I never looked back. I, I sure I missed the game and I missed the game when I retired, but uh, you know, I, I was ready for it which made it that much easier.
0: Yeah, I always ask guys that. Uh, we had this good discussion with Jordy Douglas about that when he came back from Finland, and I always wonder what I wonder what it was like that following September of nineteen. I guess it would have been eighty-seven in your case, and everybody's going back to training camp. in the first time for, in forever, uh, you're not doing that. But uh, as you just said, I guess you were prepared for that eventuality and smoothly moved into the next phase of your career.
1: Yeah, it was and you know, it was funny, it was, we came back and the season in, in Europe ends up earlier, so i probably hadn't done anything for about five or six months and finally my wife took a look at me and said, Get off your butt and go find a job and it was <laughs> in September when she said that to me, because she knew that she couldn't be around me if I wasn't going to a training camp and I would sit there and mope. So uh yeah, I ended up uh just getting into to the real world and uh I one thing I wanted to get into was sales and so I did a bunch of sales jobs and uh And uh, then I did the color commentary for the Flames for 12 years. Retired from that about five, six years ago and still in the hockey industry. I've got a little company on the side that we're doing some uh, pretty exciting things. So, uh, yeah, I guess, uh, you know, kind of hockey was over for me, but it never leaves your blood. So it's nice to be back in it.
0: Absolutely. And you got rave reviews as a color commentator uh, for the Flames and the NHL in your 12 years there. Uh, Eventually, um, named to the Alberta hall of fame um most recently you represented uh whaler nation in carolina for uh their uh, the hurricane special whaler night i think you dropped dropped the puck for the opening game and i when i think of that i think and i look at it from your perspective when you're out there and you walk into carolina and you see skip cunningham who was the equipment guy when you arrived in hartford uh, 44 years ago. Still there. Uh, still working in the NHL. Uh, did you have a chance to catch up with Skip while you were down there?
1: Oh, most definitely. Uh, you know, I saw him a couple years ago in Hartford when uh, the Yard Goats had their, uh, their night, but uh, yeah, I actually went down the day of the game. I uh, went there in the morning just so I could spend time with uh, Skip and went through the dressing room and saw the Whaler uniforms, and uh, I was so excited uh, to, to see finally that Whaler logo again, <laughs> and, and Knowing that I'm going to see it on the ice that night, but just to spend time with my good, uh, good buddy Skip, and you know, Mark, what, what was amazing—the um, respect that he has from that organization, mm-hmm. uh, from the players, um, and just you know, it, 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 it was it was great to see because he deserves that. You know, there was never a harder worker, and to be as you said, 44 years with an organization, and when they put the Whaler uniforms, uh, Bob Crocker, who I got to know in Hartford, also he uh, showed they'd stenciled in the inside of the jersey Skip's name and his first game in the year that he uh, was with the Whalers so even uh, in something like that they made sure that they honored Skip in in the right way so uh, yeah I had a a great time with him and I'm sure I'm going to see him this summer again.
0: Absolutely he's one of the best people you'd ever meet in hockey he certainly deserves everything and every accolade that he has They're just incredible of the physical demands and the the time demands that that job has uh, that he's been able to, uh, to to go at it since uh, 1972 the very first whaler game and all all the way now to this day too so uh, but speaking of good people uh, one of them is mike rogers we're just thrilled to have the opportunity to talk to you today and get caught up and we uh, greatly look forward to seeing you at the Yard Goats event during the summertime, and um, we'll stay in touch in the meantime. But we really wanted to say thank you for spending the time with us today. It was very enjoyable uh, uh, hearing your viewpoint uh, on your career in hockey in general.
1: Well, Mark, uh, yeah, honored to be on your show. Great talking to you, and it's nice to uh, relive old memories.
0: Absolutely, Mike. Thanks so much. We'll talk to you very soon.
1: Okay, Mark. You take care. Thank you. You too. Bye bye.
0: Thanks for listening to the Pro Hockey Alumni Podcast. Be sure to visit us at ProHockeyAlumni.org.